Um, so I'm Allie Walker, and I'm an epidemiologist with the Traveler's Health Branch at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And we'll be talking this morning about accomplishing your mission, health and safety resources for successful travel. And I know that a lot of you have heard a lot of this before, um, and a lot of you have probably experienced it before. Um, hopefully you'll be able to pull out some new and interesting things that will help you prepare and prepare others for, health, for healthy travel. Um, I'm going to start out and make this very informal. I'm just curious, how many of you are planning on going on a mission? Great. And how many of you are planning on caring for others, either pre-travel or post-travel, when they go on missions? Wonderful. Okay, so I'll talk about both of those aspects of travel health. Um, and if you have any questions about one or the other, just stop me anytime, and I'll try and mold whatever I'm saying into one or the other. All right, so today I'm going to start out by briefly reviewing our mission statements and the inherent risks for injury and uh, illness abroad, and then move on to a more detailed discussion of collaboration between CDC, sending agencies, and missionaries who are preparing for international travel. If my slides would advance, it would be great. Okay. So what is the mission of CDC and the Traveler's Health Branch? And these slides are not going to go. Okay. So I'll just talk to you. <laughs> um, so the CDC's general mission is to collaborate to create the expertise, information, and tools that people and communities need to protect their health through health promotion, prevention of disease, injury and disability, and preparedness for new health threats. The Traveler's Health Branch mandate is to protect the health of all U.S. residents before, during, and after traveling and living overseas. So CDC's mission is to collaborate, to create all of that expertise, and our individual mission in our branch is to protect all U.S. residents who are going abroad, whether it's before, during, or after. So what are the activities of the Traveler's Health Branch? Our activities include establishing health recommendations for travel, communicating the guidance to clinicians and the general public, and we do this through the CDC's Traveler's Health website, publications such as the Yellow Book, which I'm sure you're all familiar with, and responding to public inquiries, public outreach, and clinician education. So this is the CDC's Traveler's Health webpage. Um, it's usually ranked in the top five CDC websites in use, and its primary audiences include the traveling public and health professionals who advise travelers. Content areas include travel notices and announcements, the online yellow book, regional destination pages and resources such as the Yellow Fever Registry, a list of travel medicine clinics, and a contact us button for public inquiries. Additional topics also provides uh, information on diseases A through Z, traveling with pets, traveling with children, special needs travelers, and links for the travel industry. This website is our primary method of communicating with the general public, and we make continual improvements to it based on uh, consumer feedback and online evaluations. 
The website was redesigned in 2007 and went from 17 regional destination pages to 245 destination-specific pages. So you guys can look up where you want to go and see tailored information for that location. New technologies were also added, included GovDelivery, RSS feeds, print and email page options, um, and also podcasts, which are very useful. Additional evaluation of the web page is currently ongoing. So before we get into exploring the website, let's talk about those travel notices I mentioned. The notices will give you important health information in real time. Um, so I'll show you an example of a notice, um, and you'll see that there's information about the situation of interest in countries, and then advice for travelers who are going there. Um, they usually go on to contain more information about disease risk, in-depth information relevant to healthcare providers, and then links for resources for more information. Um, the warning level three is in red, warning level two is in yellow, and watch, uh, I'm sorry, alert level two is in uh, yellow, and the watch level one is in green. As I mentioned previously, the Traveler's Health website contains health and safety information for 245 unique destinations, including but not limited to recommended and required vaccinations, anti-malarial recommendations, safe food and water practices, and destination-specific health advice. The information on our website is also published in the CDC Yellow Book. Um, and we've been publishing the Yellow Book for close to 50 years. It began as a pamphlet, and the book in its current form is published every two years. And it can be purchased on Amazon, or the full text is available on this website if you want to just print out the pages that are relevant to whatever travel you're looking for. And there's the Yellow Book. <laughs> And in addition to providing general health information to travelers, we also provide specific guidance for health events. Um, hopefully it will load, but I've got a picture of a pamphlet that's an example of uh, our collaboration with the Uganda Ministry of Health, the Uganda Wildlife Authority, and the Uganda Tourist Board. There it is. Um, after a Dutch and American tourist both visited a python cave in Queen Elizabeth National Park in Uganda and were both diagnosed with Marburg virus. Apologies for the wait. I want to show you some posters um, that are examples of our travel outreach that we did during the 2010 H1N1 pandemic. There they are. Um, so these are posters that uh, advise for general precautions for keeping yourself healthy, healthy while traveling. And these are print ads that uh, were for this, developed for the same purpose during the H1N1 pandemic. And they were run in print media and were put up as posters, which you may recognize at all TSA checkpoints. And there are also reminders of ways to stay healthy while traveling. So, um, in addition to communication work, we also offer a variety of free continuing education courses and trainings on topics 
such as malaria and the epidemiology of vaccine-preventable diseases. Hopefully. Um, one of the courses that was developed by our surveillance and epi team is the yellow fever course, which not only gives background on the disease, but also provides vaccination information for providers. And the course is used by the World Health Organization to certify their yellow fever vaccination sites. And there's a picture of our yellow fever vaccination information page. So as I said earlier, um, I'm a member of the surveillance and epidemiology team in the Travelers Health Branch, and our branch targets at-risk populations, including immigrants, visiting friends and family uh, abroad, student travelers, and missionaries on short and long-term travel. Missionaries and aid workers make up 24% of travelers, according to our GeoSentinel surveillance system, and like all travelers, they're at high risk for disease during and after their travel including major concerns such as vector-borne diseases like dengue and chikungunya, and injury during travel. Mostly road-related injuries are an important risk factor to be mindful of in all countries. Um, our team works on a variety of research projects, including revising the yellow fever map to make it clear to clinicians and to travelers, creating a database to record travel related to yellow uh, sorry, travel uh, illness related to yellow fever events. And we also work closely with the rabies group. As you know, the availability of rabies vaccine and reg is highly variable, and we've looked into access to these biologics worldwide. We continue to work on outbreak investigations as well, recently focusing on dengue and chikungunya in returning travelers. So why are missionaries at risk for illness and injury? As I'm sure you're well aware, missionaries are vulnerable to illness and injury while serving overseas for several reasons. Um, first, they may not seek pre-travel consultations with clinicians. Further, many missionaries may rely on their mission organizations to provide pre-travel health information or may not be concerned with uh, or aware of health issues related to travel. Also, because mission travel is often self-funded, missionaries might find the cost of pre-travel health preparation to be prohibitive. And some U.S. insurance companies don't cover such consultations and subsequently recommended vaccines or medications uh, that result from that visit. Second, missionaries may travel to areas with different risk profiles in their home countries. Um, and often these remo remote locations can be in uh, lead to an increased risk for infectious disease, decreased public health uh, and sanitation infrastructure, and increased risks associated with transportation, like lack of seat belts, road signs, etc., um, and missionary work in these locations, as I'm sure you know, is very physically demanding, which can also lead to a risk for injury. Uh, third, although some mission trips are weeks in length, many missionaries travel for months at a time, and longer duration of travel may increase the risk for illness and injury. Other trips may be emergency travel in response to situations and require short-notice departures with little time to prepare. So... And missionary travel can be unique for many reasons. 
Um, when you travel more than once to the same location, you can become very comfortable with that de destination. And I know this from personal experience. Um, everyone has a decreased level of vigilance when they're very comfortable with where they're going and feel like it's a second home. Um, although some may be first-time travelers in a region, often missionaries return to those regions time and time again. You also have a range of travelers. We know first-time travelers are at high risk for illness related to travel, but again, experienced travelers may be at risk due to lack of what they may view as unnecessary precautions. Um, and there's certainly conflicting guidance readily available in, from different agencies. Um, and I'd like to take this opportunity to remind you of CDC's mission to protect the health of U.S. citizens before, during, and after travel. General guidance found elsewhere may have other goals. So when you come across conflicting guidance, just try and remember who their target audience is and what the goal of that advice will be. Um, and last but not least, pre-travel preparation varies depending on the sending agency. This is where we would love to collaborate and try and standardize uh, pre-travel preparation to ensure health and safety abroad. So everyone has a role and a responsibility in, safe and healthy, in a safe and healthy travel system. Sometimes those familiar with medicine are a little more cavalier about taking care of themselves. Um, and it's important that the missionary organizer be very specific and advise of the travel risks and encourage pre-travel care. The clinician's role is to provide detailed and thorough guidance tailored to the individual, their chronic and current health needs, and their upcoming trip. The traveler, in this case the medical missionary, should prepare, seek guidance, and take responsibility for their own health and well-being before, during, and after travel. So how can medical missionaries prepare for international travel, and how can medical personnel prepare missionaries? The first step is to, in travel preparation is to do your research. And I mentioned earlier that you may find conflicting information that from different sources. Um, and as I said, it's always good to be informed and think about the purpose of each of those recommendations and the audience that it's talking to. Um, okay. So these are uh, a bunch of different websites that you can go to to look for travel information. Hopefully it will come up. Here we go. Uh, there are two key websites to visit before you travel or to advise your patients to visit. Um, the first is the CDC Traveler's Health website, where you can check for recommended pre-travel vaccine and prophylaxis information and current health in information for your destination and other resources that we went through earlier. And the second is the U.S. Department of State Smart Traveler Enrollment Program, where we encourage everyone to register their travel using either the website or the smartphone app. Um, and this will give you safety information and make sure that someone knows where you are should anything happen in the country that you're visiting. Okay. So what we stress to all travelers, but especially miss missionaries, is to research your destination before your travel. The registration and websites we've been talking about will help you in this task. And your next step would be to talk to a medical specialist, ideally four to six weeks before travel. You'd like, you'd like yourself or your patients to discuss their itinerary, their planned activities, and uh, any current medications they're on, and any chronic health problems. 
The reason for the timeline here, four to six weeks before departure, is to ensure completion of any vaccine series you may need. Um, and like I said, despite medical backgrounds, it's always important to review current medical conditions or medication before traveling. It's essential to remember that these can't be general visits. Uh, and any current health issues and long-term medications or risks should be discussed at that pre-travel visit um, to make sure that everyone has a plan of action when they're abroad if there's no medical care available and takes all of the necessary medications with them. A good pre-travel clinical visit will cover any, um, any routine or travel-related vaccines, um, as well as discussion of venous thromboembolisms, asthma, the arrow should move, um, traveler's diarrhea, malaria, I'll just go through them, uh, vector-borne or zoonotic diseases, motor vehicle accidents, psychological stress, heat and sun, and injury and assault. These are all topics that can be discussed at that pre-travel visit. Um, really, anything on this slide is important to discuss. So before your mission, it's important to fill tr uh, any travel-related prescriptions, such as malaria medications and self-treatment antibiotics for diarrhea. We advise counting pills, especially for malaria meds, um, before leaving the pharmacy. There's a tendency for insurers to limit the number of pills that you can receive to 30, a 30-day 30 period, um, and it's something that all clinicians should be aware of because you don't want your traveler or yourself to go abroad with uh, not enough pills. Um, you may want to consider travel medical insurance. Uh, this is very important. And treat your clothes and use bed nets to reduce bites. So uh, compiling a traveler's health kit before your mission is always a good idea and should be recommended. And the kit should include prescriptions, over-the-counter medications, basic first aid items, insect repellent, sunscreen, and an alcohol-based hand sanitizer. It's also important to have contact cards with your health provider information, your health providers at home, and your health care providers abroad, um, as well as your medical insurance card, and keep those close at hand when you're traveling. So during your mission, um, we always advise that you wash your hands often, stay hydrated, and drink bottled water. We always say wash it, peel it, cook it, or forget it, and eat food that's fully cooked and served hot. You want to look for steam when you're served. Um, during your mission, you also want to remember to wear sunscreen, insect repellent, and reapply that insect repellent more than once a day. Um, not all mosquitoes bite at night. Take your medications and avoid unsafe road situations like riding on motorcycles without a helmet. And we know in some cases you'll be put in a situation where there's, there are very limited options. And we always say make the best and smartest choice you can with the situation at hand. You don't want to put yourself in undue, at undue risk. Um, and it's hard to remember to do things like this every day, but it's import they're important actions to keep you healthy when traveling. And uh, you're always at risk, so especially with the um, insect repellent, I admit that sometimes I will apply in the morning and then go out and do something all day and forget to reapply. But 
it's it's a small time commitment and a small thing to remember that can prevent very dangerous diseases. So uh, things that are important to keep at the back of your mind. So after your mission, travelers should seek medical care immediately if they develop a fever. And we found in Traveler's Health that often the traveler may not share information about their travel when they uh, about previous travel when they see a clinician, especially as you move farther away from your return date. Uh, and clinicians may find it helpful to ask about previous travel during their visits. Um, this will lead to a whole plethora of uh, options for symptoms that may not uh, come to mind at first if travel isn't mentioned. There should be provider follow-up if the traveler was ill or injured during the trip, and that will be taking place back at home. And after the mission, it's also necessary that travelers complete their malaria medication regimen as prescribed and discard unused antibiotics appropriately and seek care for mental uh, health issues if needed. When we talk about discarding antibiotics appropriately, this doesn't mean leaving them with locals or putting them back in your cabinet to take on your next trip. Um, they're potentially dangerous medications, and they should either be mixed with dirt or kitty litter and discarded in your trash in a Ziploc bag per FDA recommendations. Um, so why are we here? How can CDC work and help the missionary community? Um, we're interested to hear your thoughts on how best to reach medical missionaries and address common health concerns before, during, and after travel. Uh, we'd like to enhance our surveillance to meet the unique needs of missionaries and define who's seeking medical care and whether health events are reported during and after travel. So I will leave the discussion slide up. I have some links that I can put up on the uh, projector after, but I would love to hear from you guys and see if you've been on a mission trip before have you experienced any of the things that I've gone through today? What, what has been your experience? Do you find that the medical care you receive pre-travel is uh, comprehensive enough to deal with your health concerns while abroad? Have, has anyone come back with an illness or been ill abroad? And how has that care gone? So I'd welcome any discussion or questions. Um, yeah, I, I would say that our uh, cook it, wash it, peel it, or forget it is really all you have to remember. You want to be very careful of the water and only eat foods that have been cooked thoroughly. You want to make sure that those, any food that's put in front of you isn't just warm, but it's steaming hot, um, and that will keep you safe. It's, it's very difficult when on missions and traveling in general to not eat the local street foods, to not eat the delicious-looking vegetables that grow everywhere. Um, but the, the risks are so great um, that it's, it's worth it just to, to eat the cooked foods. Yeah. Uh, my husband just returned from South Sudan last week. I was by this time, and one of our dear friends on the airplane to Fort Atlanta uh, presented with a problem with malaria. Yeah. Um, we, he had medication on board. And then uh, she was brought back to our town, but the hospital also discovered she had uh, Shigella, 
Yeah. Never confirmed malaria, but mm -hmm. she already had some medication, plus I know they're not all easy to take in the U.S. Yeah. But symptomatic, I mean, though, in, in South Sudan, we've got malaria. Yep. And she's recovered now. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, you had asked a series of questions. Mm -hmm. First of all, I think the information was really good. Um, I, all of the, most of the experiences have come out of San Diego. Mm -hmm. um, my first trip and all the subsequent trips, they actually pull a history from the CDC website mm -hmm. for the location in Uganda. Mm -hmm. um, and it was great. We got to learn like kind of what to expect from a population, mm -hmm. and culture, and then also medications. Yeah. The travel education was really good. Um, taking our medications, knowing what to eat, I think. Um, just experiencing it, the information. I actually came to see, is there anything else I'm missing? Like, mm -hmm. Are there more? And it was good to have it validated that we're doing uh, kind of what you're asking for mm -hmm. in the preparation process. Great. In the, in the vaccination and the understanding. Mm -hmm. um, have we had experiences? Yeah, we had two in 2007 who came down with malaria. And then in 12, one of the nurses got dengue. <coughs> and then it's also good to know what to do coming back to yep. be able to treat it and work with it. So, mm -hmm. Like, yes, the risk is real, mm -hmm. and to the information there to follow up. So, Great. To answer all your questions. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> Wonderful. And <laughs> um, I'm, I'm curious, as physicians, when you see travelers coming into your clinics, do you find that they come in four to six weeks in advance in time to get those uh, vaccines, or is that a, a challenge that you face? Challenge, yeah. <laughs> She factors the, the traveler's insurance into the cost of the trip, so everyone has to have it. That's great. Mm -hmm. 
So we do have information in the yellow book about uh, common parasites in different locations. Um, and it depends on the parasite, obviously. Um, but a lot of the general precautions should uh, speak to that as well. So a lot of those parasites could be waterborne or um, risk factors for swimming and uh, other activities of that nature. Um, and that should all be on the CDC website. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, so if you're diagnosed with a parasite, there are specific treatments that are recommended, um, but I don't know that we talk about cleanses. I appreciate what the young lady shared because I've also had those kinds of experiences and other folks have traveled with me. And it seems that our American doctors are not familiar with these things. Like the CDC has certain general things that can be helpful, but there's a whole lot of other stuff that's out there that you can bring home with various levels of illness, and sometimes other types of things can help, so, you know, um, herbs and things like that. But it doesn't seem that there's good dissemination for the medical community for all this other stuff, the, the pre, mm -hmm. I mean, the post-travel yep. treatments. And I was wondering if there's either some stuff that's going to be done with the CDC to make it like an open forum or something, mm -hmm. so that that type of information can be shared throughout the country, because um, people are traveling all mm -hmm. over the world from all different places <coughs> in the country, so it's going to be more and more. It's true. Issues coming up. Mm -hmm. um, so what we advise is, like I said earlier, if you are feeling ill when you return from a trip, seek care. Go to your provider. Um, go to your... Exactly, yeah. Um, so on our CDC webpage, we also list uh, uh, a directory of travel clinics where you have travel medicine specialists who are prepared um, and have that information at hand. So that's a good place to look um, if you – but I would, I would always start with your, your provider. Yeah. And that's, I think, too, that really comes into play where divulging your travel history, yeah. if it, even if it's within the past year, I mean, there's a reason why if you've been to an area with malaria, you can't give blood for a year. So, I mean, for the next year, my doctors know that I have a travel history to a country with malaria. Um, and, 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 and in finding a travel medicine specialist, 
they're going to be even more in tune as far as the risks that you might have encountered um, than even, say, an IED specialist would. So it would be, you know, using that registry to find a travel medicine specialist, they can really help, um, you know, put maybe start to narrow things down because they're up to speed as far as the different tropical diseases and um, things that are emerging and, and things like that. So thank you. What I found is traveling around is you go to the resource limited countries mm -hmm. and their own infrastructure terms of information is actually lacking. So what you can generate get information from them is so lacking so I feel that, that can actually be quite specifically addressing
Um, that is a great recommendation, and I'm just going to repeat that so it's on uh, on audio. Uh, so his comment was to always have uh, leave your medical history with uh, someone here so that it is available to the medical teams if any medical evacuation is needed. Um, and that also goes back to what I said earlier about having the your medical provider and insurance information on you. So if something happens in a country, there's a number to call for, to someone that has your history and knows your, your unique situation. So, thank you.
It is yeah. also available as an app if you'd yeah. like to have it and you can store it on your phone. I'm just curious, my husband returned from Kenya last year, and two weeks after his return, developed a febrile illness from severe, was in the hospital. Did um, the CDC was in communication with the hospital as well as Washington, D.C.? They never determined what it was. It was negative for everything. Mm-hmm. Are the majority of things people come back, Americans coming back um, with, these well-known things? Is that more rare to have something that can't ever be figured out, or is that... All the trips I've been on, people come back with things nobody knows what it is. Yeah. So, uh, the things that you do know, you can take care of. The things you don't know, it's a problem. Some, some things, too, like, so the most common illness that people present when back for travel is gastrointestinal illnesses. And so, like, but if you have... If you have E. coli and it's not and it's not a shigatoxin producing E. coli, it's never going to be diagnosed necessarily as E. coli because in the U.S. we don't have good diagnostics for the different unless it's O157 H7. Um, and, you know, without those STX1 um, genes, we don't we don't really we just don't culture for that specifically. And so then it's sort of you know it's a you know an antibiotic is given, you clear up, you, you recover. And so then it becomes kind of an unknown. So, but that's but that's also just because it's not something that we have culture capacity for in most hospitals. created that uh, can help primary care physicians kind of tailor that travel visit. Um, If you go to the CDC website, there are tools where you will put in your patient's very basic information, your patient's gender, age, and the travel location. Um, And it will give you kind of a step-by-step checklist of like what to ask and what uh, is necessary for that location. Um, there are some non-government websites that do that as well. Uh, there's a tool online called the PrEP tool. It's the pre-travel um, readiness tool. And if you Google that, uh, it'll do the same thing. And actually, you can print out the page, and it will give you the recommendations for that clinical visit. So those are the basic tools that we offer. Um, if there, Again, there's a list of travel medicine specialist that you can get off our website. Um, And if you ever need a referral or information, um, 
those are going to be your best assets. There are also, if you're looking to for more formal trains, you can yeah. pursue a yeah. certificate in tropical medicine. Um, or you could also, for example, um, there's a woman that we've worked with at CDC, Gail Rossalot, who teaches the Westchester Travel Medicine course, and it's sort of a three-day crash course in travel medicine. And you'll find a lot of, you know, university nurses who prepare um, students going to study abroad and things like that, and she gives you just, you know, kind of a, a crash course. And so there are different things available like that that you could as well, there are more formal options. The CDC also has, I mean, the Clinician Information Center has, has great, you know, links, and we're always putting out new Medscape training videos and new online courses and things like that. But there are also more formal options available as well. Thank you. P-R-E-P? Yeah. Uh, it's on the Global Trav EpiNet website. Global, uh, TRAV, T-R-A-V, EPI, E-P-I, NET. And there are tools there for uh, both clinicians and for the travelers themselves if they want to look up uh, information about their destinations. Any other questions or comments? Yep. So we recommend to boil or uh, filter, to bring your own filters, um, but really boiling is going to be your best. There are also, uh, you can chlorinate, there are lots of options. Uh, it depends where you're going, what the easiest thing for you to do is, and how long you're going to be there. usually say that bottled water is safe, but if it's bottled in country, you always have to be careful. Yeah. We also recommend do not buy the water bags yeah. you sometimes see yeah. um, because those are easily refilled with not yep. sterile water um, and they also are typically kept in pools of gross water so <laughs> in coolers. Also, checking your water bottles Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very good point. Uh, I actually walk.
a little bottle of water mm-hmm. that by gallon for the people sitting there waiting. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was empty, and I actually took it outside, filled it up, and brought it back in and yep. flipped it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, 100 people sitting there wasn't aware of that and going over there for water thinking mm-hmm. they were getting no, you always want to, like, like was mentioned, you have to see the cap on it, and it has to be sealed. You want to be the one to break that seal. What about um, travel on airlines, particularly other countries' airlines, yep. the water they give you in the glasses? So the water and ice on an airline originates in your place of origination. So if you're traveling from the developing world, that water originated in the developing world. So you, again, want bottled water that you break the seal on. Anything else? Yep. You want deep. <laughs> um, that's what I wear. Uh, so it, I mean, there are lots of preca- precautions for vector-borne illnesses. Say, and it's going to be hot and it's going to be uncomfortable, but you wear long sleeves, you put on your insect repellent, you use your bed nets. Um, it's, and it's not about doing, choosing the one that's easiest. It's about making a combination of efforts to reduce that exposure. CDC recommends yeah. 20 to 50 percent deep. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you, if you are um, treating your clothes with permethrin, is a great thing you can do. You can find this at REI, sporting goods stores. And it's great because a lot of it will last in multiple washes. Um, and so you can treat your stuff before you go. You can buy stuff that's pre-treated, but it tends to be more expensive. I easily ruin a pair of pants in the field, so I'm not going to go shell out 90 bucks at REI every time I go out. But I can buy a $10 pair of pants from Target, treat them in permethrin at home, and they'll last me a month-long trip. It'll, a specific brand will say on the um, bottle because it'll last usually. Some of them will wash through like uh, it's like six washes or so. <laughs> I couldn't do it. So some of them, some of, like it, it depends on the exact formula. So some of them you spray and, and you you know you kind of soak the fabric and let it dry. Other ones you mix with water, you dunk your clothes and then set it out. Um, and you can use it for bed nets, you know, bug huts and that kind of thing if you sleep under. Um, but that that helps, especially if you are more forgetful about um, yeah. reapplying deep. I I personally use deep woods deep, like as strong as I can get it. But can you? I use the ultra because it's a time release and it doesn't have to be as high. Yeah. And I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but it it says that it the army. So as long, I mean, we really, so the evidence that we had is for that 20 to 50 percent meat window, and so the ultrathon, because there are also combination product, products where it's sunscreen and it's sex repellent, um, and so you can, and so some of that stuff, you just, you know, it'll say on there when it needs to be reapplied. Yeah, so something like that, I would trust the manufacturer's label, because that's coming out of the United States, and the FDA would not let them make a false claim. Yeah. It's really good, and they've even got better ultrathon than they used to have because it, it, you just felt like it didn't stink. Yeah. And now they've got some that doesn't make you sticky. Yeah. So, so it's even better. That's great. Yep. But it's not cheap. But it's yeah. Yeah. Yep. 
up, and uh, we tend to be very hospitable, especially when people come in our homes. So like you said about water, mm-hmm. I would recommend that you go with the water. People are just, they get mad when you don't take what they offer to you. You know, like you have to, it's like it's a food you got to share with us. Mm-hmm. So what we have, we have to take, you know, it's some of it. But if you show people that I'm taking, I got money, I got the water. That solves everything. I, I think you bring up a really interesting point, and this is an area where missionaries really face a, a unique challenge. Is you're going out into the communities, and to reject something that someone offers you could be seen as being disrespectful or ungrateful. And so, and it can be really tricky to say, you know, how do you how do you refuse a dish that someone has cooked for you? I mean, I know I have plenty of friends who are vegetarian in the United States, but when you're overseas, someone offers you something, I mean, you have to take it. You have to take it because it is rude otherwise. And so, um, coming prepared, you're able to say, I have my own water, you know, I have my own snacks, that kind of thing can be, can be great and, and help you navigate that. And also, if you're in a situation where you cannot refuse, that's, that's why we recommend you take a travel, you know, take your first aid kit, you know, and have, and have things available in case... Things go awry. Yeah. So, but that's a, that's a great point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And another, this isn't always possible, but I love, if I'm going to bring snacks for myself, I always bring enough to share. And people love to taste something from home, or from your home, when they're sharing something from theirs. So. Okay. All right. Well, thank you guys. This was a great discussion, and I really appreciate all the comments. <laughs>